Today on TechNado, we've got Microsoft pushing more open source. We have the good guys winning in the ransomware battle, and we have more bad guys pushing out ransomware, all coming up in this episode of TechNado, starting right now. Welcome everybody to TechNado, a very special episode, special for a number of reasons. One, because I've got Mr. Daniel Lowry with me. How's it going? And, and it's, it is also special because uh, one of the times, I, I haven't done a lot of TechNados with you, but one of them I did do was right before a hurricane. And guess what? This one's right before a hurricane. There is a hurricane coming. <laughs> now, if you're a longtime listener, um, both of you, then uh, <laughs> then you may notice that our audio sounds a little bit different today. If you're watching our video, you might notice that our video is different. Well, there is studio construction going on in the back. A lot of you might not realize that there are a ton of people that help out with TechNado. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you see Peter Van Rysdom, Justin Dennison, myself, work here in my office, and it looks like that's all it is. But all of our cameras run back to a big control room, and there's usually four or five different people helping us make this thing the broadcasting gem that it is. <laughs> I'm not saying that we put our focus on the right things. I'm just saying that we do yeah. put our focus on it. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but we are getting all new equipment upgrades back then. So we're recording this podcast old school style on my laptop, laptop right here yeah. in front of me. So things are a little bit different. They are the same mics, but uh, actually, I guess we're bypassing the compressors and things. Oh, so. yeah. My apologies for our lower quality. Well, is it really lower is it quality? Lower? Yeah. Is it <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it looks good. It sounds nice. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we we strive. You can hear us breathing, maybe. Also, uh, <laughs> Peter is out today, and Justin is out today. So uh, Hence the fill-in. Yep. And then I'm hosting instead of Peter. So this, yeah. this is going to be a great podcast. <laughs> um, we do not have an interview today, so it's going to be a little bit shorter, but we do have some great news articles to tackle. So, Daniel... Let's jump into that. Fire away, sir. Our first one is coming at us from the site Beta News. The headline is, Open Source Champion Microsoft Makes the Linux Kernel Better with XFAT. Now, this is kind of a, a neat one. And, uh, you know, let, let's start a little simple here with XFAT itself. I right? we're going to start off with, this is from Beta News. It's not actual <laughs> news yet. <laughs> you know, it's not alpha news. <laughs> well, it is. Technically, this is early news. They're saying, like, they're making the Linux kernel better. Microsoft right. hasn't done anything to the Linux kernel. They're, they're trying to get this put into the they, kernel. They've, they've made it possible for the Linux kernel to be better. Right. That's what they've done. Right. And so what they've done is, is they've taken XFAT, their proprietary file system, and they have open sourced the specs to it and and basically put it into the it's like the OIN or whatever, yeah. one of the open initiatives that uh, allow companies to share intellectual property and share their patent portfolio. Well, XFAT is now a part of that, and so that means that Linux operating systems can start to support XFAT without having to pay any royalties over to Microsoft, and that's a that's a good thing, right? It gets a little more XFAT support, and in future vernals of the Linux, future future <laughs> versions of the Linux kernel, I do I not. Got, I got Don's just condensing <laughs> words. I, it's going to be a fast podcast. You got it. <laughs> so future kernels will be able to support XFAT natively, yeah. which will be really nice. You won't have to use some crazy Fuse plugin right. or whatever. Yeah, they can get a pain, especially after you're like, I've installed Linux. I'm ready to go. This isn't working at all. Oh yeah, now I got to install something to make it work again. One of, probably one of the biggest downfalls to people moving to Linux has always been having to go in and install those support features 
for things that you take for granted in other operating systems. Right. And I, I always have a tough time with Fuse. Yeah. That if, if Fuse is an open source uh, collection of, of file system drivers, so you can get support for NTFS and all sorts of things through Fuse, uh, it's not perfect. And when it comes to a file system, I want perfect. Because if something goes wrong, you end up with corrupt files. Uh, also, it runs in the in the kernel space. So nice. if there was malware or something like that injected into Fuse, now I've I've opened myself up. So I I much prefer it to already be in the Linux kernel. But let me let me get to the point that I meant to make like ten minutes ago, which was <laughs> Daniel. I, I've got a Windows machine in front of me right now. I've got a Mac behind me. I've got a Linux machine over there. I move between operating systems a lot. And I have a bunch of USB keys and things scattered around my office. Let's play a game. Okay. How many of my storage devices do you think are running XFAT? I'm going to say all of them. Uh, <laughs> good guess. <laughs> Wrong, but good guess. <laughs> Worth a uh, shot, correct right? answer is none. I don't all run in, XFAT right? on anything. Uh, I think I have. Because, do you? Well, uh, I do run XFAT. I have, a, um, I have one hard drive that's XFAT, and I have one USB key that's XFAT because... I'm going between Windows and, and um, Mac OS from time to time, and that makes that a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I have a couple of USB keys that might be formatted FAT32 for that purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, FAT32's big problem is that it can't handle files over 4 gigs in size, which we right. frequently do. Uh, XFAT solves that, but XFAT is go. not a journaling file system. No, it is not. So if you improperly unplug a device or whatever, you get file corruption. Practically every other file system <laughs> journals, so I'm, gonna, I'm usually just going to fuss with either uh, uh, like macOS Extended Journal or yeah. EXT4 or uh, uh, NTFS. I, I actually do EXT4 on practically everything because I have a yeah. Windows driver for EXT4 and I have a macOS driver for EXT4, so I just kind of do that. I do like EXT4 the best. Yeah. Um, I just – I don't mess around with Windows enough, though. So To worry about it. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't know how big an impact this will make, but it will certainly be nice for people that deal with digital cameras – uh, because a right, lot of SD them, cards, right? mm -hmm, SD cards can make use of this and handle those larger file sizes. I know uh, some of the the production team here, like I've seen Megan going around with a DSLR camera, mm -hmm. but recording video with it. Right, and that, those are going to be large. Yeah, that four gig file <laughs> limit files. comes up quick. So, uh, you know, on the topic of open source and graphics, our next article comes to us from the highly reputable the Register. Uh, <laughs> I love their uh, their little bird logo. Yeah, the it looks vulture. like a vulture. Yeah. Yeah. They, they he's angry. Of, they kind of are the vulture of IT news. They, <laughs> they're just <laughs> circling the dead bodies picking, of IT. Picking the cadaver clean of tech <laughs> yeah, news. Exactly uh, right. So I, just to clarify for any new <laughs> listeners who we might have, <laughs> both of you, yeah. uh, that uh, the register last year they broke uh, responsible disclosure rules, or Did two years ago. Really? Yeah, they outed the uh, Spectrum meltdown before any of the operating system vendors, before anybody had a patch out for it. So um, I'm not a big not fan cool, of the register. register. Not cool. But they did report on something this week that nobody else wanted to touch. And so uh, I'll give them props for that, which is the very popular uh, graphic open source graphics editing product called the GNU Image Manipulation Program, or GIMP yep. for short, uh, has a bit of a name problem. And they've had a name problem for years. So the, the headline is GIMP Open Source Image Editor Forks to Fix Problematic Name. Uh, so it's been around for 20 years. You ever use GIMP? <laughs> Extensively. All the time? Yeah. I, I've, well, because I was, I was young once and couldn't afford Photoshop. So GIMP was a, a good alternative. Yeah, I'm, I'm old and can't afford Photoshop. <laughs> it is. It's, well, you get the creative. 
Oh, fifty dollars a month. No, yeah, that's like ten bucks. Because you can oh, get is a, it? you can get a photographer's license. Oh, and that's all. And it's only like I guess that's not so bad. Yeah, that's less than Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. depending and, on the package. And, and up until recently, you were able to download the local copy. You didn't have to use the cloud version. You could get the actual package yeah. and install it. As long as you had the license, you were good to go. And you can't but do that now anymore. They're like, yeah. ah, we don't want you using that stuff. Got to have the cloud. People get the cloud and then they cut it. And, well. So what GIMP was originally, I mean, it all still is yeah. really, is a Photoshop replacement that runs on Linux. They also have Windows and Mac versions if you want. You can run it, uh, and it's designed to be a Photoshop equivalent. Uh, at one point, Photoshop changed their UI. I'm not a big Photoshop user, so I don't know when. Yeah. Uh, GIMP kind of stayed with the older user interface, which some people really appreciate. People like me find either interface confusing. Microsoft Paint, much no, easier to use. It's true. It's, uh, it's confusing. <laughs> so, but once you get used to it, it's a no, very it's functional confusing. program, right? <laughs> well, no, it's functional. It's super functional. Like, like full-on enterprise businesses can use GIMP and do use GIMP to manipulate images, create logos, uh, marketing stuff. Uh, it, it's great. works really, really well. The open source community has done a great job of continually adding features and changing and updating throughout the years. I think it's been around yeah. for like 20 years. I've been using it for a long time just because I couldn't afford Photoshop back in the day. So right. I kind of cut my teeth into it, especially when I got into photography. Well, and you know, it's been around. A lot of people use it. And the name at the time, I'm sure, was jokingly picked or whatever. And that was kind of what they went with. Well, it is the uh, open source community. It, it is. <laughs> and, you know, we've seen some weird products over the years with some names, especially in the security space oh, that yeah. are just like outright I, offensive. I, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm doing a show in security, I'm, I have to go into source code. And change names because they're just completely inappropriate. Do you remember we were at uh, either DEF CON or Black Hat? Uh, that was Mike that went with me. Oh, it was Con Mike that Hat. was with yeah. me. Shoot. There were there were two security researchers there that were from – I think they were from Netflix. They were either from okay. Netflix or like somebody, somebody really big, PayPal, okay. uh, one of them. All right. And they were going to show off their new attack tool that they had developed in response to some of the attacks that they were receiving. I can only imagine what it's called. And at the at the last minute, the company they were from said, no, you can't do this presentation. We need to cut it. And they said, we're going to do it anyway. So they got fired during the presentation, which was kind of neat, right? What? You can Google and find this. And they get up and they're like, so here we're going to show you our, our new tool. And it's called... And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was called. I believe it was called, it was either Meat Pump or Meat Pistol. And it was going to be like Sphincter. You hear something. the one. I mean, still. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it just, meat yeah. Pump. Like, all right, well, good to go. Um, so, wonderful. The <laughs> gift name, who, who knows what it uh, originated as, but it has been a problem for a number of people who find the name offensive. Uh, so much so that it was put in their official fact. Uh, the question was, I don't like the name Gimp. Will you change it? And their official answer, and this has been up for years, says, with all due respect, no. We've been using the name GIMP for more than 20 years, and it's widely known. On top of that, we feel that in the long run, sterilization of language will do more harm than good. Finally, if you still have strong feelings about the name GIMP, you should feel free to promote the use of the long-form GNU image manipulation program or maintain your own releases of the software under a different name. Well, over the years, several people have actually done that. They've forked the GIMP project yeah. and just changed the name, and that was that. But most people are not going to adopt a fork that's not being kept up to date right. and there's no real effort behind it. Well, now someone is actually putting a little effort behind it and they have launched the Glimpse Project, which, which is I a think is a fantastic name, name for this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it gives you – I have had to recommend Photoshop alternatives in the past. And the first one that comes to my mind is always GIMP. And you go – and you always see the face like, I'm sorry? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, well, yeah, we're not talking Pulp Fiction here. Yeah. We're talking <laughs> – it's it's – the GNU image manipulation program 
And there you go. That's yeah. why it's called that. But now Glimpse is something, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I need to. Did I ever tell you about the new text editor I've been using? It's called Leper. It uses the leprosy language. It's awesome. <laughs> the leprosy it's, uh, Yeah, you're you really effective it's, and efficient. It's leper plus plus. And, yeah. <laughs> so um, what this new group is doing is not only are they forking GIMP and renaming it Glimpse, which yeah. honestly is a better it's name. It's a great name, yeah. Because uh, it, you know, it's a visual name. And it kind um, of like hides GIMP in there, right? So I, I don't feel so like disjointed from the project yeah I, I don't know that they've released any kind of acronym for it like does glimp yeah. stamp or something but you you get the letters are in there right uh, but they are also promising to update the user interface so yeah. they're saying we're not just doing the name but we're going to try and get it closer to the interface that people are used to in the newer version of photoshop which is pretty neat so that is all in the works and we'll we'll see that kind of coming down the line uh just a, another part of that whole process of maintaining open source so neat that people can do that Hopefully they're successful this time because it is an awkward name to have for a program. Uh, well, according and, to the article, they got some got some pretty heavy hitters behind it as far as who's maintaining yeah the the new version here or the, or the fork. So they might the, get some steam going. The trick is seeing how long it goes. Nobody yeah. wants to adopt a fork and then a year later it's abandoned. It yeah, that's Man. the hard part. All right, well, let's jump over to our next article from the folks over at InfoWorld. VMware vSphere goes Kubernetes native. <laughs> it's a uh, Kubernetes. He grew a beard and, uh, you know, the, <laughs> when it, I hear going native, I always think of special forces guys. They, that's what they, <laughs> say, they call it, going native. Well, I think uh, if they, you know, open up the newest edition of DSM-4, there's going to be a new mental illness in there called Kubernetes fever, which has spread through Silicon Valley. I think all of the, uh, all of the Silicon Valley products have kind of jumped on it. Actually, VMware's not based out of California. Are they, aren't they out of somewhere weird like Wisconsin? <laughs> Are they? I feel like they are. I, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay, look Google it up. that. Find yeah, out I'll where Google VMware is based you. out of. Either way, VMware has been making some really big moves in the cloud space. We've seen a lot of that as they have been uh, moving into Azure and AWS. They've been Palo launching. Alto. Palo, they are. That's what it says right here. Why Palo. am I thinking Wisconsin? I don't know. Uh, probably Maybe some, they were there at one time. Some other virtualization platform. Yeah. They probably used to sell toilets or something. It was probably like a virtual cheese factory, and that's in my head. It's a virtual cheese factory. (laughs) Well, either way, um, what's going on here is that VMware is really adopting a lot of these cloud automation and control programs. Uh, People are using Puppet, Chef, Terraform to mass deploy virtual infrastructures and even move them from place to place, which is a great space for VMware to be a part of. They are now working on some new APIs that are going to basically be compatible with Kubernetes. And so if you're a developer and you already know how to use Kubernetes, you'll be able to interface with VMware vSphere and use the same exact tooling that you're used to it. Uh, you know, the quote that some of the people are saying is that, hey, it, it, it looks like Kubernetes. Right. Uh, I, I, I like how they kind of like pitch this. If you read the article, they're saying that there's still a heavy push for on-prem, right? To stay on-prem for security reasons or whatever reasons, people are still opting on-prem when we have this wonderful cloud system just out there (laughs) waiting. And maybe some of that comes from the fact that we don't know how to work with it yet. So let's fix that problem. We'll stick Kubernetes under the hood once you get used to using Kubernetes. Now a transition to the cloud ain't so scary. Yeah. And and I think that's the, the guiding star behind this. Well, we'll keep an eye on where that goes. I expected VMware vSphere 7 to be out this year. It isn't. Uh, They've pretty much said that's not going to happen. But in 2020, we'll likely see vSphere 7. We'll probably see more support like this. It'll be an interesting year. I kind of feel like it'll be a make or break year for VMware 
if they can't find a way to stay relevant in 2020, then could be the beginning of the end. Yeah, they'll have to transition somehow. I I don't know. Maybe they'll go the Microsoft angle and take their ESX and open source that piece, and then all their management tools is where they make their money. I I don't know. That's kind of kind of what they do now. Yeah, but I I would use VM other than their desktop products. Yeah, I've been out of the ESX. Oh, we use the heck of that for those for, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and why why bother if you're in AWS or Azure? You there just you go. There you go. All right, well, let's transition over to some security content because that seems to be what Yay. makes up the bulk of IT news. <laughs> our, uh, our next one here uh, comes from Vice, which you know makes sense to do cybersecurity from the Vice. Uh, according to uh, field reporter Don Johnson, cops hijack botnet, remotely wipe malware from 850,000 computers. That name is totally made up. Uh, the guy's oh, name is not Don. Johnson. Oh no, I, I totally made that up. Oh, yeah, okay. it's, uh, <laughs> that's what I thought. Lorenzo Franceschi Bicchieri. I'm assuming that's their Italian correspondent. <laughs> I, I'm going to give you kudos on that. That's I think like you got it right. Most Italian name possible, <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll turn out he's Portuguese. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. my apologies. Uh, <laughs> but this is one of those positive, uplifting right, they did stories. A good thing. Uh, police in France worked together with several different security firms, including, uh, they list a few of them, Avast was involved, as well as... Um, Avast. Uh, well, Avast. <laughs> yeah. Cisco Talos, uh, who else was involved in this one? Trend Micro. Uh, several different people yeah. worked together with the French police to seize control of a botnet. And once they got control of it, they were able to use the botnet to remove the the software, right. uh, the malware from 850,000 computers. So kudos to the team over there. Thank you for cleaning that up. Um, on a negative side, it is a bit of a drop in the bucket compared to how True. many infected machines there are out there. But the more this happens, the better off we'll be. Yeah. And so this is a, uh, a great way. Uh, this particular malware was a cryptocurrency mining malware. So that means people who are infected their machines were running slower and uh, consuming more electricity, so it actually does hurt people in a, in yeah. a physical way. Yeah, totally. And and any time that we can, as the good guys, right, people that aren't trying to be malicious, can do something to attack back and kind of give a, a bloody nose to these people that are constantly haranguing us with things that we have to look out for. We're all, we're all just out here trying to do business and you know, live our lives and feed our families. And, and not feel harangued. And, yeah, and always. Uh, I hate being accosted. I love that word. <laughs> accosted. Stop accosting me. <laughs> with your with your Bitcoin mining. And I know this is totally off IT, but you know there's the sunglass brand, Acosta? Oh, is there? No, I didn't, I didn't know that. And, well, it, it's uh, not a Ray-Ban. Yeah, like, well, I, I think it's also like Costa's. But Costas. I always think of Acosta. <laughs> Are they the gas and... station version of the Acosta? <laughs> Maybe. Acostas. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Lacoste. There's like several yeah. words that all rotate around being accosted. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you put them on and they just like spike you in the face. You know, we are coming up with great product names in I this know. podcast. So we we're, can have we're marketing geniuses. Yeah. This is going to be our new accosted brand accosted. brought to you by the folks at Leper. Uh, <laughs> Leper++. Plus plus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the greatest new text editor That's on the right. scene. All right. Let's uh, continue on. Uh, we're we're going to stick with the good guys. Uh, yeah. you know, when, when Peter memorized them here, it's all negative Doom Nancy. Blue, but yeah, uh, right. for us, we're going with the good guys. And the good guys got a couple of wins. So that was France. Let's go to the U.S., it turns out, you might recall, when uh, a few weeks or months ago now, a uh, oil tanker that was under a U.S. flag was seized by the Iranian Guard. Uh, the Iranian Guard has been flagged as a terror group by the United States government, which oh, is not go. a good status to have. Uh, so they seized one of our tankers. Uh, we did get it back. 
right? Uh, and apparently, according to various news stories, President Trump was on the verge of ordering missile strikes against Iran, which uh, uh, certainly would have ended in a, uh, a tragic way. Yeah, 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 it would not have gone well. I mean, that is a great big powder keg right yeah, there, just yeah. waiting to go off. Uh, but he said, he said at the time, we're not going to do missile strikes, but we are going to respond in a meaningful way. And people wondered what that meant. Well, now we know. Uh, U.S. cyber attack brought down Iranian database used to target ships in Persian Gulf reports. <laughs> I've seen news reporters doing this a lot yeah. lately where they stick a colon reports. Like, <laughs> reports. What does that even mean? Is yeah. that getting you off the hook if it's wrong? It, yeah. Is this – here's what I've heard <laughs> on the street. I couldn't tell you whether it's yeah. right or wrong. Somebody reported it. <laughs> yeah. Either way, we're reporting it now, so we'll take uh, ownership of it. Uh, but – Basically, what happened is we do have a U.S. cyber warfare team, and the bulk of it is made up with defensive capabilities. But there is an offensive side, and the offensive side was hard at work a month ago because they took down the systems in Iran that are used to keep track of what tankers are where in the Gulf, uh, or specifically in the Strait of Suez, Suez Canal. I get my geography wrong sometimes, but definitely over in the Gulf. So Somewhere there. <laughs> by targeting and attacking the system, they were able to take it down. And it made it where Iran, or at least the Iranian officials, could not keep track of where the tankers were. The Strait of Hormuz. Oh, Strait of Hormuz. Yes, there that would be right. Uh, so don't uh, don't take my fake yeah, news. The Strait of Gibraltar. Daniel's got the uh, <laughs> the power of Google. It's Plymouth Rock. Yes, the Iranians <laughs> are right. getting oil tankers all around. Pilgrims there. are getting seized oh, left and right. Yeah, um, trying to avoid persecution. But it's kind of <laughs> cool that we get to see our cyber warfare team at work. They took the database down. The Iranians were if, – if they even knew where a tanker was, they weren't able to keep track of which country it was attached to. So they didn't know who they were messing with when they would go to a tanker, and that really reduced things. And so now they only mess with England apparently if you've been oh, following the news. Well, uh, they've been going back and forth. Not sure why they singled out the UK, yeah, but uh, uh, probably because the UK – you know, people from the, the United Kingdom are just too nice. They're very nice people. Very proper. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Except for Jill. <laughs> she's nice in a mean way. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> She's been in the U.S. too long. She has been. Yeah, that's, what that's what happens. Uh, anyhow, so that's a, another positive note. Let's uh, let's go negative. Let's go negative, Nancy, <laughs> for a minute here. Uh, and this is actually one that affects us at IT Pro TV. This comes from Krebs on Security. Cybersecurity firm Imperva discloses breach. Now, we got to know about this headline a little bit ahead of Brian's article going out because we use the Imperva Encapsula web application firewall. Uh, we've actually used it, and this is, this is where we're a little bit fortunate, uh, since December of 2017 is yeah. when we started using their firewall. Now, what happened was uh, they're not exactly sure how attackers managed to get data from inside of Imperva's networks. But a third-party security researcher discovered Imperva data in a, uh, a dark web. I don't know if it was in a market or yeah. just a forum or whatever, but they basically discovered this data outside, and they shared that with Imperva. Imperva looked at it and recognized that it was data that was backed up from their systems, uh, and it had information all the way through September 15th, 2017. Oh, no. Which – is three months before we started using it. So uh, I'm thinking if I'm, I just see a scene in my head in Perva, you know, the third party researcher emails them, they look, they verify. And then there's, I just picture two guys staring at a computer screen. One of them just jaw open. Yeah. Oh no, look. The other one's turn around, just retching his guts out. Yeah. Like this is the scene I see in my head. All right. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's run through why this is a, a big deal. Cause there's a few pieces at work here. Yeah. So first off in Perva, 
is a security company. And so when a security company has some kind of a breach, that's a big deal, right? right? Credibility kind of goes. It's tough. And yeah. and I'd be lying if I didn't say that I thought about, well, is it time to move on from right. them? Because they're expensive. Like we pay them a lot of money for our web application firewall. Um, I've used a lot of WAFs out there. You can build your own. It's not hard. I actually know the technology that uh, that they're using. Uh, you know, if you if you ever take a look at like uh, Apache, uh, the mod rewrite tool mm -hmm. uh, is effectively what becomes web application firewall. Lets you do inline patching and stuff. So the technology is not hard. It's the rules that matter. Right. All the rules that let you change the way that that the data is being handled. And uh, most of that is wrapped up into mod security, which mm -hmm. is another Apache module. And most of the web application firewalls that are out there are just using mod security. Nice. So you, know, you could build their service, but then you have to spend a ton of time writing the rules. And they do a really good job writing those rules. So that I'll, I'll so state that's that. really what you're paying for is the expertise on writing yep. very specific rule sets. Now, that's where they do well. Let me tell you where they screwed up, right? <laughs> now, if a breach occurred on a web application firewall, in order for a WAF to be able to scan your traffic and identify if there's an attack or not, it's got to be able to read the traffic. Hmm. Well, what do we do with our traffic these days? We encrypt the mess out of it. We encrypt the mess out of it. And at ITPTV, we use an EV certificate, extended validation. Right. It's 2048 bit. Like we we, you know, we, we do a lot yeah. uh, to make sure that it is nice and secure. So how does Encapsula scan your traffic if it's encrypted? Well, you <laughs> give them a copy of your certificate. So the only way you can look at the traffic. That is correct. <laughs> so they decrypt that traffic. They analyze it, make sure it's okay. And then it, it either gets re-encrypted with the same cert or, like in our case, encrypted with a different cert and then yeah. sent over to us uh, where we're then able to receive it and respond back, right? So if an attacker breaches their network, we usually worry about things like, oh, did they get my password? And right. in their breach announcement, they said, yes, some um, usernames and passwords and encrypted passwords right. were, they, they weren't the plain text they were hashed yeah yep so it was assaults were also there uh oh yeah they were the yep so you know that is it does worry some time down yeah so they pushed out where they they reset all user accounts even even ours where yeah. we weren't technically part of it because well this is the part of the breach they know about there's probably oh. parts they don't know about right so the other thing is though they store a copy of your certificates and if the attacker gets a copy of your certificate, and I don't mean the public key, I mean the private key, right? If they get the private yeah. key, it's now trivial for them to decrypt any traffic passing through your site. And if they can get historical traffic, they can decrypt that. Now, we rekey our certificates every single year. So we're in 2019 now. It's yeah. a whole different – we've actually rekeyed twice since – when this breach went active or uh, is, is said to have ended. Right. So we're kind of good there, but it's time to rekey again <laughs> because you can't guarantee we don't, we're having to trust that company does Imperva really know how much of their data has been accessed, right? Mm -hmm. They're telling me September of 2017, but it could be all the way through 2019. Well, and how many times have we seen data breach for XYZ company? And it looks like, you know, a million records three days later, Actually, it's like one to seven million records. Yeah. A few days after that, it's 15 million records, right? So they keep continually finding that uh, yeah. this is dug in pretty deep. So Equifax did that. Happen. They added yeah. over 150 million people to that breach over the next few months. <laughs> yeah. It's just insane. That's a lot. <laughs> so when a breach like this happens, it is a bit of a pain. Fortunately, rekeying SSL certificates is not that hard, yeah. and your end users never even notice in most cases. So you know, you just go and rekey it, but it is effort you have to do. Uh, and it is another reason why services like S uh, uh, Let's Encrypt, 
require you to hold your search to only 90 days. Mm. So they're they're automatically rekeying on a, on a pretty regular basis. So pretty big black eye for the team over at Imperva. I, uh, I, I feel for them. Well, right now I feel for them. If this turns out to be a stupid mistake on their fault, their uh, security yeah. company should know That's better. That's not going to be good. We don't know the details on that. And I, I was a little disappointed in their press announcement because um, it's like totally devoid of any useful detail other than this date that you can't really rely on. Yeah. So as a security company, I feel like they would have done a better job sharing the details that they had. I, I like the end quote here from Alyssa Knight. She said, the moral of the story here is that people need to be asking tough questions of software as a service firms they rely upon because those vendors are being trusted with the keys to the kingdom. Knight said, even if the vendor in question is a cybersecurity company, it doesn't necessarily mean they're eating their own dog food. That's true. And that's true. So we have to continue to do our due. I mean, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, it becomes a trust thing, right? I trust you because well, you're not going to be in business very long if you show yourself <laughs> to be untrustworthy. And this is a step in the wrong direction for Imperva. So. Yeah. Yep. So we'll, we'll see. More news will come out on that one. Uh, you know, if you are an IT Pro TV member, don't worry. We've been... Uh, doing everything on our end. We actually uh, had already had multi-factor authentication in place for the user accounts. Uh, I think there's only four employees who even have access to that system. So we, we have pretty tight controls on it. Uh, so we're good there. But Because uh, we want you to trust us. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, also yeah. because Imperva is not our first web, web application no. firewall. We've been yeah. through a few over the years. Um, and I don't want to sound negative on the technology. Like if you're not using WAF, you really should. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. you, you can do so many things and just prevent the attackers from even getting to your site in the first place. Uh, there's OWASP top 10 rules where like you can fix the OWASP stuff, even if you have bad code on your servers. So <laughs> definitely a technology worth looking into. Uh, speaking of technology and people making a mistake, we have Lenovo in the news again. And I had to do a double take on this one because oh. I could have swore we reported on this last year, but it turns out this is just the second time this has happened. Uh, the, so, strike two for Lenovo. It really right. is. So, uh, so from the folks over at Tom's Hardware, we have Lenovo covering its tracks, latest laptop security flaw. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, right. Uh, I felt like we should have the spinning. <laughs> right. Dun, dun, right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this was a fun one. Don and I were talking about this before, and he told me to save my question because it drives me insane when you buy a laptop or whatever from some vendor, Dell, uh, and <laughs> it is covered in crapware. And you got to have your Windows disk laying around or Linux or whatever you're going to install and slap it on and get rid of all that stuff. Run decrapifier programs. Mm -hmm. Right? They are such a pain. Why? And so Don told me to ask this question. Don, why does Dell give me a network manager, uh, a right. Dell network manager, when Windows, Linux, XYZ operating system has that stuff built in as a feature? So there are a couple of pieces at work here. And this, this breach, if you haven't heard about it, uh, you know, Lenovo was in the news years ago because of the Silverfish uh, malware that was oh. like installed on their laptops leaving the factory. Uh, and then they've had a few other instances where their updater had vulnerabilities in it and stuff. Yeah. Um, this time, it's another one. There was a, a well-documented security flaw in one of their updater applications that's packaged with Lenovo laptops. Now, Hard to see on camera. I'm on a Lenovo laptop right now, so I had to take a ration of crap from Daniel before the podcast. Uh, but I do exactly what Daniel said. When I get a new laptop, the first thing I do is format it. Yeah. Microsoft's actually made that easy if you're running Windows. It's, true. Uh, it's always been easy in Linux. And, uh, and Mac OS is usually pretty good about not being packaged with garbage. Yeah, that's um, true. They rarely have I any third-party software at all. Safari is more. <laughs> yeah, Safari. But at least it's a, a native app. It's, it's not true. like a third-party. Yeah. No. Um, but basically with Lenovo, they had some updaters and other things in there that are compromised. 
And once this uh, security flaw was identified, they went and backdated the end of life date for the software so they could say, well, it's end of life. We're not going to support it. That's um, funny. And that's where people say they're covering their tracks now. Um, but Daniel, you asked, why do they do this stuff? Right. right? Now what do I need that for there's, there's a few different reasons. Okay. And, and there's, there's, hopefully positive uplifting reasons and there's negative reasons. So on the positive uplifting side, they know that most users never even dream of updating their firmware, right? That's true. And with firmware, we're talking about the BIOS or the EFI in your system. Uh, if you have a network adapter, there's the wake on land BIOS. Mm -hmm. uh, Wi-Fi radios have their own firmware. And these are things end users don't think about updating. If you install like a Windows native driver or an open source Ubuntu driver or something like that, mm. they won't update the firmware because they don't want to mess it up. You know, it, it's hardware. Yeah. So they'll push their own network manager or software or whatever so that they can push firmware updates and not have to bother the user about it. That's the positive uplifting what we hope they're doing side, right? But the reality is there's two main reasons they put that software in there. One, sometimes they are directly paid to do it. So somebody comes along and says, we've written this network manager and we will pay you to put it on all of your laptops and, and there you go. And there's some kind of service that's a part of that network adapter that you can pay extra for. And that's how they hey, make Don, You should money. directly pay me to kick the mess out of somebody over there. Hey, I was directly paid to do this, man. I would do that. <laughs> Here comes an epic beating. Except <laughs> it's covered under collusion. Oh. So yeah, yeah, I can't do that Take one. Take all but. the fun out of it. I know, it's, a, it's hard. Racketeering Sticking maybe, it's a, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the other reason, though, is a little less uh, aggressive, which is just you have a lot of technology in your computer, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of that technology end users don't know about. So if you ran into a user that had a, a, a MacBook, mm -hmm. right, it is very possible somebody could be a Mac user, have been using them for years and years and years, and have never heard of the company Intel, right? Okay. Because why would you know? Right. The Macs, they, they only come with Intel processors, so they don't necessarily have to they advertise that out. They don't have a sticker on them either. Yeah, they don't have a sticker on yeah. them. You know, you don't know about this company called Intel. But Intel is a publicly traded company. They need people to buy their stock. So they want to make sure that people know about their name. And they actually offer discounts to vendors like Lenovo and Dell and so on that, hey, we'll shave a little bit off the processor cost if you put a sticker that says Intel inside yeah. on it. And now you know it's an Intel. Those stickers are one of the first things I take off of a new laptop because <laughs> yeah. they make the things wear away weird. Yeah, they do. Um, but they also like to do software because it becomes visual too. And they can track statistics. You know, what what operating systems are out there in the field right now running our network adapters so we know what drivers to maintain? And so they collect data and so forth. So there's there's reasons like that for having the software out there, but it is rarely beneficial to the end user, and it's even more rarely automatically updated. So you end up in situations like <laughs> and when all I was this has caused the tech support people nothing but consternation. Yeah. Uh, when you're having to deal with that stuff, I, I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, it's conflicting with this, or this is just crap software, and let's remove it because we don't need it. Yep. And uh, you know, this year we've had Lenovo and Asus have both had high-profile cases of this. Last year, Dell, uh, you know, pretty much everybody is going to run into it. I think Apple, honestly, is, is probably one of the cleanest. But, true. Uh, but I'll tell you, Linux. <laughs> Clean you know, as a whistle. The, the closest you have there to third parties, remember how Ubuntu for a while was sticking yeah. the Amazon link oh, and yeah, yeah, App yeah, Store yeah. or whatever on there? That's the closest, but otherwise we don't really have these problems. Of course, they, they don't usually do firmware updates either, yeah. so it's a right. give and take.
So, all right. Well, so, I mean, if you're a Linux user, you're probably got the wherewithal to do your own firmware updates. You would hope. Yeah. That's it's, uh, true. Uh, Don't I mean, assume that too much. This though. is the year of the Linux desktop, so anybody can run it. Uh, again? Uh, always. <laughs> it's always the year of the Linux. You know, what they don't say is that in, in Linux... It's know, like the uh, Rolling Stones a, a farewell year, tour, right? A There's year is actually 15,000 days ah, uh, under Linux, so gotcha. it's, uh, it's a sense. long year. That makes sense now. <laughs> Silaxian time, right? Silaxian time. <laughs> uh, it's a 36-hour day. It's just it, immediately <laughs> in my head... Um, What's the movie with uh, uh, Galaxy Quest? Oh, love Galaxy that. Quest. Love that. And uh, the, what is it, by Greg Grapthar's Hammer. What, what a savings. That's what popped into my head when you said Silex <laughs> Days. The Strange Minds. Uh, all yeah. right, <laughs> let's move on to our final article so we can pretend like we're professionals. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're doing uh, a podcast. <laughs> we've got one from Coindesk, which is uh basically you know coindesk they do a lot of reporting on the status of blockchain yeah. and bitcoin and so on uh and so they had an interesting article pop up that crypto mining malware attacks are up 29 percent in quarter one according to a mcafee report and daniel i was surprised to see this because i kind of felt like they were down like down yeah but apparently not that from quarter four to quarter one has gone up 29 percent it's almost a third. I mean, that's crazy. Now, you know, actually, hang on. Let's let's think about this for a minute. If it's quarter one, it's talking about all the way back at the end of March. So it tells you exactly in here. <laughs> what the heck um, is quarter one? So it is quarter one. Twenty nine percent from Q four twenty eighteen to Q one twenty nineteen. So in that span, whatever it was at at the beginning of Q four, okay. it's gone almost thirty percent more. All right. So if we if we roll back the clocks to March of this year, yeah. back then there was that uh web embedded crypto miner that yeah. um attackers were taking over websites and they were leaving the websites alone instead of defacing them and sticking right. their crypto miner behind them. Uh and there were several Android apps that were out there too that were packaging crypto miners. Mm -hmm. So I could see that. So maybe it's it's that in it's the just a little less visible. In quarter two and quarter three yeah. maybe it is down, but way back in quarter one they were up. Yeah. Um I I wonder, yeah, I wonder where that's going. The the thing that always got me was like with the crypto mining malware, most of them weren't sophisticated enough to think, let me throttle the mining. Yeah. And so you you could spot it because all of a sudden your system's at 100% oh, CPU. Yeah. Right. But if they got a little smarter about it and said, you know what, we're just going to do 10%, 10% CPU, they're going to get one tenth the amount of mining. The fast math there. You're welcome. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But if they can spread it across even more machines that go undetected, right? Then they can make so it up. So you're making it up. It's it's quantity over quality kind of thing, right? Yeah. Spread it out a little more, and nobody knows. So you get to last longer in the biz and get your get your crypto mining that way. But yeah, when I go to a website and my fans ramp through the roof, I'm like, something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know too many websites that should cause this machine's horsepower to get that jacked up. Uh, and I'm going to start looking into things at that point. So yeah, good times. Uh, you know, crypto mining is not going anywhere because cyber criminals can use that to actually turn into real cash one way or another. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that. It's not the the threat is real. The threat is real. That's right. Uh, according to Coinbase as well. <laughs> yeah, or CoinDesk. CoinDesk. Not Coinbase. Not Coinbase. <laughs> All right. Well, Coinbase. either way. <laughs> Brought to you by Coinbase. What do we know? <laughs> yeah. This is a journalistic excellence. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the last of our news articles for today. But let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. When we get back, we'll wrap up this uh, amazingly special episode of TechNado. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? 
I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer Cherokee Boos, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. Just head to youtube.com forward slash IT Pro TV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. All right, everybody, welcome back to Technado. And, uh, you know, this is the part where we kind of wrap things up. It, uh, it's been interesting. Yes. Uh, time. You know, uh, this, this episode has been so different because we have absolutely no help from outside of this room. Uh, We're running the show, man. The, the, uh, what do they say? The inmates are running the asylum yeah. right here. <laughs> and, like, so if you're, if you're actually watching and not, if you're listening, we're not probably behind not the compressors. Different. Probably sounds a little bit different, but yeah. mostly things are the same. If you're watching though, and you're wondering like, why did the news article come up at this time or go away at that time? It's because yeah. I'm controlling with little buttons right here, and I'm not very good at it. So uh, my apologies there, but I think yeah. I did all yeah, right. You did fine. Yeah. yeah. So I, had, I didn't screw it up. Done. You did good. And shut <laughs> up. All right. So uh, so that's about it. I do want to remind everyone out there in TV land if. There is a topic you'd like us to cover, uh, a news article that's important to you, a interview that you can think of that would be really nice to have. Please shoot us a message. And honestly, the best place to shoot the message to would be interviews at technado.com. That goes to our marketing mailbox where we kind of get ideas for what to throw on here. Uh, also, we're thinking about changing up the podcast a little bit. So we are running some ideas here internally on ways that we can change it to make it better, make it a little more targeted to our audience. Uh, if you have suggestions or ideas, we'd love to hear it. You're the listeners, you're the viewers, and so you guys know what you want. Instead of us trying to guess, you could just tell us. And <laughs> that does make things a whole lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good time. So, uh, you know, you can reach out to us via social media, shoot us an email, uh, you know, let us know. We'd love to hear your suggestions and continue creating Technado, but uh, I want 2020 to be a big year for us. Yeah. And so we've got to uh, Let's have some fun. Yeah, try and Let's see set what our we can heads do. on fire, but not. Yeah, but you see, the problem with that is you only do it like one time. Yeah. And then. But it's uh, epic. Don't yeah? do that, by the way. It'll go viral. <laughs> It'll, It'll go viral. And Watch these two idiots. By viral, I mean like the burns will get infected. Yeah, yeah. and then they'll die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gents. Uh, Daniel, thank you for, hey, uh, for pinch hitting for me today. Always a pleasure to be on so, the Technado. I know it's an on honor. The dough. It's uh, it'll be on your tombstone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was an educator at IT Pro TV and appeared on Technado. <laughs> Maybe <lies>. not. <laughs> All right, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Tune back in next week for more more ah, for more <laughs> Technado. Peter and Justin will both be back for next week's episode. Well, actually, I think just Peter, Justin will still be out. Won't oh, he? he's got the week off next week. Doesn't yeah, he's a uh, yeah lazy Slacker. people. All right. Well, anyhow, we'll be around for Technado next week. Be sure to tune in. But for now, signing off, I'm Don Pizzette. I'm Daniel Lowry. And we will see you next week.